Hi there. Thanks for checking out the New Life Speaker Podcast. All our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Lutheran Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. If you don't want to miss out on our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. The money goes towards the seven tradition and helps fund our meeting. You can find a link to this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, and thank you to the New Life Speaker Group uh, for having me here tonight. Um, I am Pat. I'm definitely an alcoholic. Uh, hello. <laughs> uh, I have a sponsor, and I realized something interesting recently that, you know, we often say, we have a sponsor, he has a sponsor, and so on. Um, if you're in AA and you have a sponsor, you can, um, all sponsorship leads back to June the 10th of 1935 with Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith. Literally, all sponsorship came from them because AA came from, from Dr. Bob's last day of taking a drink on that day. Um, yes, Walk the Walk is my home group, and it's been my home group now for a couple of years. Like many of you, um, the pandemic and the politics seriously affected me back in 2020 and 2021. So I did uh, end up with a new home group, and I'm going to just uh, get a little, give a little shout out about Walk the Walk. We have a core group of about 18 people. And it's a very nice group of people. Uh, we typically might get 30, 35 people at our meetings, so um, pretty much half the people there are home group members. And for you women who are here tonight, I would like to say that of our, home, of our core group, about half are women. So when we have business meetings, we men behave ourselves. <laughs> so that's a fact. Um, I know most of us feel like uh, we're, we're different, we're unique when we come into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I certainly did. Um, I heard the term terminal uniqueness and that applied to me a bit. There are a couple of things about my story, like anybody else's story, that I think are a bit unique. One is, and I want to be clear about this, I crossed the line into alcoholism when I was 65 years old. So I wasn't some, somebody 20, 30, 40, even 50 years old when I came in, in here. I was well into my 60s. And so what I talk about and, and how I um, approach this program needs to be, I think, understood uh, with that. And um, the second thing, and what I want to start with, I'm going to start in the middle, kind of in the middle of my story. Um, I don't have a long drunk log if you're here tonight and you want to hear a long drunk log with a lot of humor, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. Um, I, like, I like to start with my first year of recovery because um, it was very important to me how this, how this went about. 
Um, I walked through the doors downstairs on February the 29th. Did I, did I give my, my sobriety date? Yeah. No, I didn't even start with that. I'm sorry. My sobriety date is February 26th of 2012. So I walked through the doors downstairs on February 29th of 2012. And um, I came in on my own. I didn't go through rehab. And so I walked in and I was obviously new. And somebody took one look at me and said, go in that room, meaning downstairs, the room right below where I am. It's an 815 meeting. They have meetings uh, in the rooms to the left and to the right. And I was told to go into the left, so I did. And I walked in and I sat down at the table um, and I didn't know what the heck to expect. But a very attractive young woman sat down to my left um, who looked like she was about 25 years old. And it was obvious to her that I was new. And so she introduced herself. She talked with me a little bit and settled me down a little bit. And, um, you know, the meeting started. There were the initial readings like there were here tonight. And then uh, very quickly I heard, is this anybody's first AA meeting? If so, would you please raise your hand? And I raised my hand. And what did I hear? Welcome. I heard welcome. <coughs> and it was like, you know, I've never heard that. And I had a room full of people say welcome to me. And I felt, my gosh, I'm home. I did. You know, minutes into my first meeting, I felt like I was home. So after the meeting, um, I went up to the head of the table, which is up here, and I got my 24-hour coin, and um, we said the Lord's Prayer, and afterwards, I'm sure a few people came up to introduce me, but thankfully one person came up and said to me, you need to get a big book, you need to get a sponsor, you need to work the steps. This is my first meeting. So I probably said, oh, okay. I didn't know what a big book was, and I didn't know what a sponsor was, but I did know about the 12 steps. So um, I left with my 24-hour coin, and the next day I came back, and I sat, sat, sat in the same spot. The same attractive young woman sat down next to me. I, I later learned she was the former prom queen from uh, down in, in York. And a guy sits down to the right of me that wasn't there the day before. And he spoke during the meeting, and it sounded different. And uh, what I learned after was he didn't talk about his drinking. He talked about the solution. So after the meeting, the young woman goes up to the guy and says, you got to give this guy your uh, phone number. Meanwhile, somebody came up to me and said, here, we'd like you to have this. I now knew what a, uh, what a big book was. And I still have it, and it's held together by uh, transparent duct tape. And I have it to this day. So I got the guy's phone number. And the next day, I come back to the same meeting downstairs. It's now Friday. Um, and he's not there. So I did a very unusual thing for somebody early in the program that afternoon. I picked up my phone and I called him. 
and we talked for about a half an hour, and um, we found we have some some things in common, like we're both engineers. Read that as meaning I'm a geek, okay? I'm the guy that in high school liked math and science, and my favorite subject was physics. If that's not geeky, I, I'm not sure uh, what is, but... Um, and I'm from southern Michigan originally, and I learned that um, his father was from Michigan, and he has relatives to this day in, in Michigan. So he said, um, why don't we meet tomorrow morning at the 815, which was at Kissinger Church. It was Saturday morning, and um, he said, um, we'll, we can go to the men's spiritual breakfast out at EDI. I didn't know what EDI was, and I didn't know what the spiritual breakfast was, but I said, okay. And by the way, that first Friday night, I came to this meeting when it was back at St. Saint James Church. It was 11 years ago, 11 and a half years ago. And I do remember the literature that was out for sale, and I noticed the 12 and 12. So something about on Saturday morning <laughs> happened about that. So I met the guy. We uh, went out to EDI. I found out it's easy does it. I found out what that was about. We had breakfast. There was a speaker. There was a raffle. And the raffle was for 12 and 12. And guess who ended up with it? And who has it to this day? And it's held together by transparent duct tape also. So it's had quite a bit of use. So afterwards, we went out front. He had a cigarette. And we talked a bit. And I, by this time, I had learned what a sponsor was, okay? So I knew what a big book was, and I knew what a sponsor was. And I told him, I said, I'm thinking of asking you to be my sponsor. And he says, go with what's in your gut. And I said, okay, let's do it. So I get something more that I was told I needed to do. Start calling me. So I did. And... One week after coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I went to his house and we started working on the 12 steps. And it's been quite a, quite a road ever since. So now I got a sponsor, and my sponsor has more suggestions for me to do. He says, I want you to go to, 12, uh, to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I did that. I actually went to meetings essentially every day for like a year. And he said, I want you to get a home group and become active in it. So I did. I made the 815 my home group, and I ultimately held various service positions. So um, he also said uh, early on, as we started working together, he, um, he said, I want you to reach out to newcomers. And he told me the story that um, he had been in recovery for about 15 years, and he got tired of dealing with newcomers, um, particularly those that asked him to be a sponsor because they never showed up, they never did anything. So he stopped reaching out to newcomers. So God made him one. He had a horrible relapse, and he ended up back in the program as a newcomer, and he, to this day, still very much um, emphasizes the importance of reaching out to newcomers. So I did that. And I want to tell you um, what happened to me relative to that. 
about five years into the program for me. I was speaking in the room downstairs, and by the way, the room downstairs is somewhat sacred to me because of what happened to me in early recovery, and it is now where my home group meets. Um, I had a young man come up um, to me after I spoke at uh, Seconds and Inches. It used to meet at Sunday evenings at five um, downstairs here. And afterwards, this guy came up to me and he said, um, I want to thank you for um, helping me in early recovery. And I said, all I did was encourage you. And he said, yeah, that's it. So if you don't think that you have an effect on somebody in early recovery, for one thing, just think back, okay? Because I think of all the people that reached out to me in early recovery. So I started working the steps, and lo and behold, things started to change in here, literally in here. I started to notice changes inside of me. Um, the obsession to drink. You know, I came in here before alcohol turned on me. So I don't have the experience of living to drink. Um, I still enjoyed what alcohol did for me um, when I came in here. But I had the obsession and it was lifted in like a couple of months. And I think sometime, um, it was probably after my fifth step, I had one of those marathon fifth steps, you know, it lasted about uh, seven hours. I really didn't have that much stuff, I didn't think, you know. But I have to tell you, coming coming in here, if you had um, asked me about my resentments, resentment wasn't part of my vocabulary. But when I started listing those, man, I was really surprised. And that's you know that's the first thing we do on the fourth step. So uh, my sponsor told me after the fifth step, go home. The instructions are spend an hour, review what you've done, um, and then call me. And I did, and he asked if I felt any lighter, and I said, no. And I think he was disappointed. I was exhausted, okay? I was exhausted. I think that the fifth step promises, and particularly the one where it says that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I don't have the exact words. I don't have the book memorized. Um, it's about, it was at this time that we started um, um, identifying with a power greater than ourselves or feeling the presence of a power greater than ourselves. For me, it was, I sensed that God went from here to here. Now, in reality, I, I believe that God was here. I went from here to here. But that was the, that was the sense that I had, and I kind of felt that it has stayed there. Um, since then. Now, I have some, some very definite things that happened to me um, in addition in early recovery in the room downstairs. Um, I walked into the room in a meeting in the first couple of months and this young man, his name was Ira, he was 21 years old, he'd been um, sober for two years and he asked, how are you doing? And 
I said, of course, like we all say, we're all freaking miserable, but we say, fine. You know, I'm fine. Right? <laughs> we're all, we've all been there. So then he said, how are you really doing? This is a guy young enough to be my grandson. I'm 78 years old. I've got kids 39 to 51 years old. He was young enough to be my grandson. And he wanted to know how I was really doing. And that really took me back. Another time, coming into the 815, down below. Um, after the meeting, a guy sat down with me and just listened as I went blah, 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 right? Okay, about how I was feeling. Just sat and listened. He's part of my support to this day. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And the third thing that I remember that happened um, fairly early on it was a Saturday afternoon, and um, I, again, was all jacked out of shape. And I couldn't get a hold of my sponsor, you know? Um, so I had another phone number, and I was told, you know, call people. Um, one of the things that my sponsor impressed upon me was, you know, getting a support group, and I have amazing support to this day. So I'm thinking, it's Saturday. This guy works. Um, he's got a family. I'm going to ruin his Saturday afternoon. But I called him, and he talked me down off the ceiling, and he said, thanks for calling. You've made my day. And I'm like, who the hell does that? <laughs> we do that. I've done that since, okay? So if you're, if you're new and you're struggling... Please understand that if you don't reach out to other people, you deny a person the opportunity to be of service to you. I have learned that from people reaching out to me in early recovery. So I made it through the uh, 12 steps in about a year. Um, and we finished up to page 164. And my sponsor said, okay, Pat, it's time for you to pass it on. And I'm like, you mean be a sponsor? He said, yes. <laughs> Who the hell am I to be a sponsor? I'm an alcoholic who's been through the 12 steps. <laughs> and so, and I have a textbook to use supplemented with that 12 and 12. And so, I've done that. I've done, you know, it's another thing that I was told I needed to do, and I did it. And that's been absolutely amazing. And sometimes it's been absolutely frustrating. But I've been able to help a few men through the 12 steps, and I'm a grand sponsor these days. Go figure. And it goes all the way back to Bill Wilson and, and Dr. Bob Smith. Um, I kind of summarize this first year in recovery with a very simple statement. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was told, starting with that very first meeting, you need to get a big book, you need to get a sponsor, you need to work the steps. I've been told what I needed to do. I did it, and it worked. I'm here tonight because I keep doing it. I just keep doing it. So... 
I'll, I'll go back to what I was like, what happened, particularly what happened, and what I'm like now. Um, I started drinking, I believe, when I was about 16 years old. I am not one who was an alcoholic the first time I picked up a drink. Um, I had a lot of friends back in, in um, like my high school years. Um, I, um, in my hometown, um, in my neighborhood, in one block, this was back when people used to have a whole lot more kids, it seems. Um, in the one block where uh, my house was, I delivered newspapers. Uh, delivered newspapers in about a six block radius from where my house was to like 120 um, homes, so I knew everybody. And I, at one time, counted, I lived on a hill. I joked that I lived on one of the few hills in Michigan. If you've never been to the Midwest, you have no idea how flat land can be. Um, it's hilly out here. It's flat out there. But I lived on a hill. From the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill, I once counted 50 kids. There were four families that had six kids. And one of them wasn't Catholic. <laughs> okay. I was Catholic, by the way. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. One of them wasn't Catholic. Um, yeah, I had, had all these friends in, in my neighborhood, and I had a lot of guys. Didn't have any guy exactly my age, but a lot of guys around my age, and so we played sports year-round. We played basketball in my backyard. Um, in the winter, in the snow, we'd shovel the snow off and play basketball some more. We were a little crazy. Um, guys would come from other neighborhoods because there was so much in my neighborhood, so many guys in my neighborhood to play sports with. So I had guys to drink with in my neighborhood, and I remember doing so at uh, um, houses in, in my neighborhood. And I also went to Catholic school, so I had my school friends, and I drank with them also, but I did not drink alcoholically. Back in high school and even college, I, I went to Notre Dame for undergraduate school. I went there back when there weren't any women. Well, I, I lie about that. There were women in graduate school, but most of them were nuns. And I'm not kidding. Maybe you don't know what a nun is, but, but <laughs> yes. So there wasn't a hell of a lot to do on weekends at Notre Dame with all these guys, you know, all this testosterone. So we went and drank. Um, I remember there was a place where down in the basement of a bar at underage we could go and drink. But I didn't drink alcoholically. So I got, uh, I got married when I was uh, 25 years old. I was a father when I was 27. Um, and, you know, started working for a living. It took me a long time to get through school with um, undergraduate school. Um, I, did, I did overlook one thing that I wanted to. I want to talk a little bit about that, that Catholic education. Um, and the fact that um, there was more to it than... <laughs> I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Catholic college. I even spent time in a Catholic seminary, okay? So I had a tremendous amount of religious education, um, theology, philosophy, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I've been a churchgoer my entire life. 
Um, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous believing in God. And nothing affected me. Absolutely slam dunk, like working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Didn't. You know, I just, um, you know, when I, when I talk about my education and my upbringing and all that kind of stuff, nothing affected me like working the 12 steps. So, um, you know, I got a job, um, had kids, uh, had homes. There were a couple of times when my drinking um, increased a bit, and that was when, um, I don't know why, but I really like sweet wines. I'm a beer drinker. I've been a, a beer drinker almost uh, essentially from the beginning. But I like sweet wines. And a couple of times I got into drinking, as I recall, it was Gallo Ruby Port. You know, gallon jugs of Gallo Ruby Port. Some of you might remember that stuff. Well, port wine drinking is a little bit like cheating because it has twice the alcohol of regular wine. So, you know, an eight ounce glass of Gallo Ruby Port, it was cheating. And there were a couple of times I got into drinking that. And I realized um, this probably isn't very good. And I literally ended up pouring it down the sink. <laughs> so I want to get into what happened because that's not a very exciting drunkalogue. I understand that because it's not a drunkalogue. Hold on a second. I need a drink. I'm a little dry. And I'm also sweating up here. <laughs> So, what happened? My what happened started in September of 2009. I um, had uh, talked with my wife, and I, uh, I wanted to retire in March of 2010. I turned 65 years old at that time. And we went to a... Um, financial consultant and determined, yeah, we could probably afford it um, with the idea that when I retired, I would get a, a part-time job. I'd be one of those guys at Home Depot or Lowe's that you see with the orange or blue aprons that help you find stuff all over the store. That was the plan that I was going to do that. So I told my supervisor at work and I told the HR department that I'm going to retire in six months. I gave them a six-month notice. And by the way, at the time I was working in Elton, Maryland. I moved here to work at what's now the Goggle Works. Um, was Wilson Safety at the time, and that closed. And so I was driving 60 miles each way to Elton, Maryland, um, commuting. It was 90 minutes. Uh, but I knew that I, I, I wasn't going to be doing it forever. Um, I did it for about five and a half years. So I decided to retire, and my anxiety really started to go up. And I want to stop here and, and be very clear that mental health is a big part of my, of my story. Mental health is absolutely a part of my story. 
I had my first anxiety attack, I believe, when I was 11 years old. I believe that it was, this is a little anal, but I believe that it was November the 1st of 1956. I was born in 1945. I'll do the math for you, I'm 78 years old. Um, I know that it was November the 1st because it was the day after Halloween. I'm not sure that it was exactly 1956, but maybe it was 1957. What difference does this make? I had an anxiety attack and I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And I continued to have anxiety attacks up until I was like 45 years old. And for some reason, I didn't feel that I could talk to my parents about it. I don't know why that is. But I would have these anxiety attacks and I just, I just thought I was going freaking crazy. And at 45 years old, I went to a psychiatrist and I was diagnosed with what's called generalized anxiety disorder. It's chronic anxiety. And I was put on a medication um, and that really, that really helped. Um, about five years later, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, I had started to, to have some bouts of depression in my 20s. And now I'm up to about 50 years old and I get, I get uh, diagnosed with, with um, having depression. Um, I moved here in February of 1996 and in September of 1997, I had a total meltdown, emotional meltdown. I ended up in what is now the haven. It used to be St. Joe's Psych Ward. I spent a week or two there and um, struggled to get back on my feet and get back to work. And in early 1998, I went through three months of the worst depression of my life, clinical depression. And um, I had been diagnosed with it before this because I was on an antidepressant, but I got put on a second antidepressant, and um, that, got me, that got me through that. And interestingly, maybe five years after that, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. Um, my wife, my wife worked in the mental health field for about 30 years, and she was talking to me about having ADD. And so I was seeing a therapist here. Um, we were each given a one-page written test, true or false, multiple choice, I don't remember what, but both of our answers determined that I have attention deficit disorder. So all this crazy thinking that we do as alcoholics, I have a diagnosis for that. It's ADD. So I'm approaching retirement. My anxiety is really going up. Um, and I start drinking daily. I'm working down in northeastern, um, northeastern Maryland. I don't know if any of you have ever been in northeastern Maryland, but there's a hell of a lot of liquor stores in northeastern Maryland, okay, for uh, people that come down from Pennsylvania or over from Delaware. Um, Maryland has a low alcohol tax. And so I started buying five liter boxes of wine, really good stuff. Five liters for 15 bucks, three bucks a liter. And I started drinking um, every night, um, home from work, and then on weekends. 
And then I retired, okay? In March of 2010, I retired. And um, now I'm home alone. And I plan to work at Home Depot or Lowe's. We're coming out of the Great Recession. Not a chance. They weren't hiring at all. It's complete opposite of what's going on right now. I had a phone interview for a cashier's job at Target, and I didn't get it. So I got even more jacked out of shape, and I started drinking even more. And uh, it actually was scaring me. Um, and I knew that sooner or later, and this is kind of interesting, I knew I was going to have to tell my wife what was going on. How many people have to tell their wives how much they're drinking? That's how well I was hiding this. I was drinking a white wine that evidently didn't give, give off much odor. It looked like I was drinking water. And so February 26, 2010 was a uh, Sunday morning. I sat my wife down at our dining room table and I told her what was going on. And I figured, am I doing that? That's gonna cause me to stop drinking. And she said, you need to get to AA. And those were the first words I heard in recovery. You need to get to AA. I had no intention of anything like that. And I said, AA, what would I say? I'm not an alcoholic, in parentheses. I'm just drinking too much and I can't stop and I can't control it, okay? <laughs> so, so the next, that afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon, I called a guy that uh, uh, went to the church that I was going to in downtown Reading. I knew that he was in recovery. And um, I had uh, lunch with him at the West Reading Diner on uh, Monday afternoon, Monday noon. And I left there thinking, hmm, maybe. So the next day I went up to um, Alvernia. Um, I was going to something called the Alvernia Seniors College. It's, um, they have specific classes for seniors, go figure, during their fall, winter, and spring terms. Um, it wasn't classes, you know, three times a week for a semester. It might be two or three or four sessions on a specific topic that would be of interest to old farts like me. So I knew that there was a woman there that um, worked in the alcohol and drug rehab field. And I thought maybe I could um, get a chance to talk to her. Now, if there is any such thing as the most popular person in the Alvernia Seniors College, if you can imagine that, it was this woman, okay? She was very personable, very witty. Um, on Tuesdays, we would have lunch and a lecture, and she would emcee the lecture, and she always had people around her. And I was hoping that I'd get a chance to talk to her. So we had lunch at uh, the Alvernia cafeteria. I got my tray full of food and I went looking for her. And sitting at a table by herself, 
for the first time in her life probably was this woman. The table for six or eight people. And I went and sat down with her and I talked with her for 20, 30 minutes and not one person interrupted us. Now I hear a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous that there are no coincidences. I'm one who doesn't believe that. I believe that there are some coincidences in life. I don't believe that God is a puppeteer. But there are some things that just can't possibly be coincidences. And when I, when I look back, um, that's one of them. Like the guy who sat beside me at my second AA meeting. It wasn't his home group. He just happened to be off from work that day. He just happened to come to that meeting. He just happened to sit at my right hand. I just happened to get his phone number. He just happened to become my sponsor. He just happened to take me through the steps. There have been just some absolutely amazing things uh, for me in my recovery that, that um, I'm just really thankful for. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, what I've learned in here. Remember, I'm a geek. I'm a I'm an engineer. I need to figure things out. You know that the, the different signs you see at some meetings, one of them that says, think, think, think. My sponsor early on in my recovery said, Pat, that's not for you. <laughs> but, but I want to I share a couple of things that I've gotten out of this book that are, that are very important to me. And they're actually mentioned in the first paragraph of the forward to the first opinion. I just saw the doctor's opinion. The forward to the first edition. Um, we read this uh, at the beginning of the walk the walk meeting, uh, every meeting, and so I'm very familiar with this. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show others precisely how we, we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And they go on in other places in here um, early on to tell us exactly why they're writing this book, to show us how they, re how they recovered. And um, that's one of the things that I've gotten out of here is how to recover. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And the second thing. This is something I, I, I'm really glad that um, I heard the reading uh, early on. It was like the first page of chapter three, right, about, about we alcoholics. Um, I had no idea coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. They say many people do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I just thought I was weak. I just thought I was doing a bad thing. Um, I just did not know why I couldn't stop or I couldn't control it all of a sudden. And it wasn't really all of a sudden, but at some point. That had never happened to me before. But that absolutely happened to me. So they do go into a fair amount of detail to try to get that point across to us, including what was, what was read at the beginning of this meeting. The doctor's opinion, where Dr. Silkworth lays out what he called an allergy. You know, I don't care if it's an allergy, an illness, sickness, a disease, whatever. There is something different about me, say, relative 
to my family afterward. My family afterward is my wife, okay? My wife might have a drink nowadays a few times a year, and that's it, and not want more than a drink. If anybody here can understand that, um, you, you, may not, you may not belong here, okay? because I don't understand it. I sometimes want to say, drink it up and get some more. So I've really learned um, the doctor's opinion, chapter two, um, there is a solution, but most of it is talking about um, the disease of alcoholism. Chapter three, more about alcoholism. There's just something different about me mentally and physically than my wife, big time, when it comes to alcohol. And I didn't know that. And I learned that in here. And I've continued to learn that in here. It took me quite a while to understand that in that first step, we're powerless over alcohol. What does that actually mean? Oh, well, I'm an alcoholic. I admit to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, what does that mean? It means that I'm mentally and physically different than someone who's not an alcoholic. And I heard not too long ago a very good summary of step one. Step one says we're screwed, okay? Step one says I'm screwed unless I go to step two and beyond. And um, that's something that I really, I've really taken out of here. And then they're talking about precisely how they've recovered. Well, you know, they, um, they lay it out pretty well on, through the 12 steps. Um, I am very, very grateful for page 25 of this book in italics where it says, there is a solution. Thank God there is a solution that when we get to step two, there is a solution. Um, they do say the great fact is just this, and not, uh, just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellow and fellows, and towards God's universe. No, that didn't happen to me. So fortunately, they have an asterisk there that sends me to Appendix 2, and I talk a little bit more about that. In the first edition of this book, that's what they had. And I imagine they got a little blowback from people like me who would say, no, that hasn't happened. So I go to the, the uh, appendix on spiritual experience, and I read the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which upon careful reading shows, and I really like this, that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in different forms. And for me, it goes on to say, among our rapidly growing membership, um, that most people didn't have this huge um, mountaintop experience like Bill Wilson did. We had the slower but sure if we can if we work these steps, we have this 
spiritual awakening. So when I got to the 12th step and I read, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I went, oh my gosh, I have. I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm really, really grateful that there is this solution and that I was told, you know, early on um, what the hell to do, my very first meeting. Get a big book, get a sponsor, work the steps. And then my sponsor telling me to do this, do this, do this. And I did it and it worked. And here I am 11 years later and I'm really, really grateful for this. Um, I want to just go over two more things. One is I, like most of you, carry a coin in my pocket. And I've really come to realize that on this coin is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. There is a um, triangle here. And the triangle says unity, recovery, and service. And I took me a while, but I've learned what this means. Unity is the fellowship. Okay? Unity means I need to go to meetings. I need to have a home group. I need to have a sponsor. I need to have a support group. I need to be active in my home group. Sound familiar? Recovery, that's the 12 steps. It's, it's at the base of the triangle. It's like the foundation of the triangle. Um, I've wor actually worked the 12 steps twice, and I specifically worked steps three, turning it over to God in the morning, then taking it back, then turning it over, then taking it back. But I do, I do keep, I do keep trying to do that. Uh, step seven, asking God's help uh, for some very specific things, some things that have been, uh, I've been stuck with for a long time, but I keep working on it. And steps 10, 11, and 12, which are sometimes called the maintenance steps. My sponsor said he thought that they were the continuous growth steps, and I think that that's more accurate. Step 10, when I screw up, promptly fix it. And I love the word promptly. If it said immediately, I would make things so much worse. <laughs> but because it says promptly, it doesn't say immediately. Promptly might mean hours or even days, you know. And again, my family after, afterwards is my wife. And so the one I'm most likely to have an issue with is my wife. And... If, I, if something blows up these days, I will sometimes leave the house, go down to the, um, the museum park down there, sit in Trudy's garden, <laughs> ponder this, come to my senses, see my part in it. Then I will probably go get ice cream. Those of you who know me, okay, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy ice cream, and that's pretty much the same thing. I had my fix today. Um, if you want to know some really good ice cream places within about 30, 40 minutes of here, I've got a list of about 10. And then I'll go home and I'll, I'll uh, start to work it out. Uh, step 11, I do prayer and meditation um, every morning. And I've actually been meditating for much longer than I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, but since I've been in, in AA, I continue to do that uh, more regularly. And step 12, you know, carry the message to other alcoholics, uh, continue to be a sponsor, continue to reach out to others, 
um, and practice these principles in all my affairs. You know, it's just, I, I really like the idea of doing the next right thing. You know, um, reading about that in uh, the chapter on acceptance. So I want to go back to um, February 26, 2012. Some of you may have been a little surprised that I had to tell my wife about my drinking, but it, that really did happen to me. I really, I really did hide it. I, I was just um, isolating like crazy and basically living a lie. It actually really hurt her when I told her what was going on. She had said to me um, sometime uh, before, something going on with you. I don't know what it is. Now, my wife worked in the mental health field for nearly 30 years. She's dealt with an awful lot of people like us. Um, she's worked with you know people with um, really psychoses and not neuroses. I, I claim to be neurotic, but not psychotic. Um, and she's dealt with an awful lot of addicts, and she felt foolish that she didn't recognize what was going on. So my marriage got worse after I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and it stayed worse for about three years. Um, we've never slept in separate beds, but we did. Um, and the very interesting thing happened, and this is another, it can't be a coincidence, I came to AA and I got into this spiritual program. And a month or two after I uh, came to AA, um, my wife was working at Burke's Counseling Center in downtown Reading, and she was uh, managing a program there. And she had told the psychiatrist who was uh, part of the program what was going on with me and us. And he stuck his head in there her office one day on um, his, uh, his way out. He said, why don't you go up to the Jesuit Center in, in uh, Warnersville and just sit in the chapel? Um, I don't know if many of you know about the Jesuit Center. It used to be uh, a seminary out in Warnersville. Um, it stopped being a seminary about 30 years ago and it became a spirituality center where there were retreats and lots of spiritual programs. And so she did that, and she started um, going on retreats. She had a spiritual director. She had never been in a church for like 35 years. I was the churchgoer. I was the one that took the kids to church. You know, we got to take, we got to go to church. Take the kids to church. I took my four kids to church, and each one of them, until they couldn't stand it anymore, the complaining about it. You know, I just took them long enough to kind of get indoctrinated a little bit, and, and then I stopped. So she started doing this, got a spiritual director and all of that. But things didn't get better for some time. Um, our Christmas of 2014 was about our worst. It really was. Um, we always decorate together. And that year I put the tree, the tree up by myself and decorated it. And, uh, but it still was a, a kind of a grim holiday season. So in January of... Uh, 2015, she says, you know, there's a program coming up out at the Jesuit Center. It's a marriage renewal day. It's on Valentine's Day, which fell on a Saturday. She said, would you care to go to this? She says, I don't care one way or another, but would you care to go? And I said, yeah, I'll go to that. So we went out there on that day, 
and I'm going to get emotional over this. We, um, it was not run by a Jesuit priest. It was run by an Episcopal priest who was married to give a marriage renewal day. It wasn't a celibate priest that, that um, gave this day. And we went through various exercises about communication and learning a little bit more about each other and all of that. And at the end of the day, we renewed our vows. And it's been uphill ever since. Um, that's not a coincidence, sports fans. It's not a coincidence. Um, I could go on and on about where my life is at this point. I never thought I'd be able to say, I, you know, here early on in this program, one of the things that I really couldn't stand early on is when I'd say something and people would just say, keep coming back. <laughs> and I particularly didn't like hearing, you're right where you're supposed to be. I don't want to be here. <laughs> okay? You're right where you're supposed to be. When I first admitted that I was an alcoholic, under my breath, I would say, damn it. And I would keep saying, damn it, until things started to get better, and things started to get better, and they kept getting better. And I keep doing what I was told I needed to do, and things do continue to keep getting better. And I'm just really, really grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for you all being here tonight and listening to me. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speaker Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through the seventh tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link in the description below, or they can also be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when we upload a new episode. Thanks for listening.